I'm going to try not to cough. <laughs> good luck. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, it's my turn. I picked a story in The Atlantic. It is called The Hunter's Wife by Anthony Doerr. That February, the sun shone during the days and ice formed at night, slick sheets glazing the wheat fields, the roofs, and roads. One day, he dropped her off at the library, the chains on the tires rattling as he pulled away, heading back up the Missouri toward Fort Benton. Around noon, Marlin Spokes, a snowplow driver the hunter knew from grade school, slid off the Sun River Bridge in his plow and dropped 40 feet into the river. He was dead before they could get him out of the truck. She was reading in the library a block away and heard the plow crash into the river bend like a thousand dropped girders. When she got to the bridge, sprinting in her jeans and t-shirt, men were already in the water. A telephone man from Helena, a jeweler, a butcher in his apron. All of them had scrambled down the banks and were waiting in the rapids, prying the door open. The men lifted Marlin from the cab, stumbling as they carried him. Steam rose from their shoulders and from the crushed hood of the plow. She careened down the snow-covered slope and splashed to them, her hand on the jeweler's arm, her leg against the butcher's leg. She reached for Marlin's ankle. When her finger touched Marlin's body, her eyes rolled back and a single vision leaped to her. Marlin spokes pedaling a bicycle, a child seat mounted over the rear tire with a helmeted boy, Marlin's own son, strapped into it. Spangles of light drifted over the riders as they rolled down a lane beneath giant sprawling maples. The boy reached for Marlin's hair with one small fist. In the glass of the storefront, window their reflection flashed past fallen leaves turned over in their wake this quiet vision like a ribbon of rich silk ran out slowly and fluidly with great power and she shook beneath it it was she who pedaled the bike the boy's fingers pulled through her hair the men who were touching her or touching marlin saw what she saw felt what she felt at first they spoke of it only in their basements at night but Great Falls was not a big town, and this was not something one could keep locked in a basement. Soon they discussed it everywhere, in the supermarket, at the gasoline pumps. People who didn't know Marlin Spokes or his son or the hunter's wife or any of the men in the river that morning soon spoke of the event like experts. All you had to do was touch her, a barber said, and you saw it too. The most beautiful lane you've ever dreamed, a deli owner raved. You didn't just pedal his son around, movie ushers whispered. You loved him. Yeah. So like I said, I didn't know anything about it um, when I picked it up. And it was one of those stories that I think I actually read it in its entirety before I sent you the link. Wow. Yeah. And it's but long it's, too. It wasn't <laughs> like because, over 9,000 words. <laughs> I know it wasn't because I wasn't sure that it was going to be good. It was because I was like super into it, but I knew immediately that I was going to send it to you because I could tell whatever it was going to be about. It was well-written. The section that I read, I think, is a really good example of the story itself. It's a woman, a wife, and a magician's assistant, formerly, who has this gift where she can touch dead things and see past memories or see where these creatures and humans have gone on to. And uh, she's married to a guy who's like 15 years her senior. And that's kind of where the story starts, how he's hunting her, essentially. And when they finally end up together, she's just a young girl who is kind of aware of this gift, but hasn't had time to figure it out. And while they're married and living in this cabin in the wilderness, he's a hunting guide. She has nothing to do but hone this skill. So she's like reading all about it. She's getting better at it. And the part that I read is like where she fully understands that she can do this with humans. I feel like I could go on and on and on about this story. And I think part of it's because I haven't read anything about a gift like this. This felt like it was a pretty unique premise. A woman that can touch dead things and 
and see where they went or thought beforehand and make it real for everyone. And so the section that I read is the part where she understands her gift and then she ends up leaving her husband because she takes her gift to the world and people pay her to touch their dead loved ones so that she can share really helpful memories and things with them. And the husband, they never get divorced, but she leaves. But they also drift apart because he just doesn't understand the gift at all and hasn't really made an effort to. He keeps saying, what's your trick? How are you tricking them? Yeah. So he knows her as the magician's assistant. And so when he met her, she was like a 15 year old girl getting sawed in half. And one of their first conversations is like, I know how you do it. You tuck your legs up and there's fake legs and you wiggle them. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Is this what you do? You uh, you invite magician's assistants out and tell them how their tricks are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You old pervert. <laughs> yeah. He thinks it's a trick. And he also thinks that even if it's not a trick, that she's taking their money. He feels like she's swindling these people yeah and it's so unfortunate because what i realized after i finished reading this i mean you realize it throughout but like what i really appreciated after reading this was that these are two people who both have as much appreciation for wildlife for life and death as each other they just come at it from totally different ways you know this is a guy who's paid to hunt and kill animals so like he knows everything about how the world works and the seasons pass and how animals interact with their environment I just felt like I had not read a story about a magician's assistant. I hadn't read a story about a (laughs) gift like this. I feel like we have read stories that are really in touch with nature and settings and characters like the hunter and even like the tone of the story, which felt like cli-fi in a lot of ways because they're battling against one of the worst snowstorms ever. It traps them in the cabin. They they think they're going to starve and die. Anyway, I don't know if you would make this, if you would like couch this as a certain genre, like, I don't know, fantasy or something that she has this gift. It doesn't feel like fantasy because we have throughout this denier of the gift, you know, yeah. he hasn't fully embraced it. And at the end, he goes to a presentation that his wife is giving at a college where she's going to do this in a room full of people and he experiences it for the first time. And then they basically have like an unspoken reconciliation because he understands and she knows that he understands now. And he's sorry for doubting her, but he's mostly just in awe. There's nothing to be forgiven. It's more just like, I don't know. Isn't it also weird think that the woman you were sleeping next to all these years knows your dreams and you've denied her that it's almost as if he's admitting that she knew him this deeply or something yeah so her gift was just so fun to read about i don't know i couldn't tell you the last time i read about a gift like this like where i wasn't thinking to myself this is corny or this is cheesy or this couldn't really happen i was along for the ride I, i thought it was kind of like a beautiful thing to come up with and i felt like it was like expertly pulled off where it didn't feel like fantasy it felt like literary fiction i actually made a comment along the way i wrote the word magic question mark i printed this out it's over nine thousand words long and it's uh 29 pages i I put it into like a manuscript format this is on page 12 i'm like magic because if you ask me like what do you think of this story i would say it's slow and i don't mean that like it's a bad thing it takes its time yes it builds very slowly and I can see, you know, a certain person who doesn't want to read it <laughs> yeah, for being, sure. being like turned away by that. But um, when it gets going, it gets going, but it doesn't speed up. It grabs you. It's not slow, but it's patient. It's in no rush. It's going yes. to take its time and space. There's like this line I marked it's near the beginning and uh, there's like some dialogue back and forth. It's like talking about dreams. And she says, but I dream bigger dreams, you know. She said afterward, after she had eaten two slices of pie carefully with a spoon, 
that's the kind of line that it's got so many, it just keeps going, you know, it, it doesn't need any of that. It doesn't need more of that, <laughs> but it's the kind of thing that helps that pace, right? It's kind of like the whole story writ small. It's just a slow sentence. It's got commas that make you stop. And I think, uh, you know, if you want to analyze what makes it slow, that's the kind of thing I think that does it. It's just a, yeah. a preponderance of detail and moments, little moments of consideration. Like he's looking out into scenes and we get to feel those scenes, you know, the, all the, the natural beauty, the natural yeah. wonder. We spend time in that. You know, a lot of uh, writing advice is like, give us a quick half sentence to just set the scene and then get to the scene. You know, a lot of writing advice is like, don't take your time, get there fast, yeah. to like, because you don't want to lose the reader. Right. But, um, I think there's a certain kind of writing you want to, for people who want to read, right? For people who are willing to invest in a reading, you want to give them give them something to, to enjoy along the way. I wonder if part of why it's slow has to also do with the fact that this is a small cast of characters in a remote setting. And I don't know if you'll remember this story. I think it was back when Rob was with us, but I picked it. It was a story about like a big flood that came and- It's called Flood. Uh, was that what it was called? <laughs> <laughs> well, the story was about anticipating the flood, you know, yeah. was, uh, the frozen, um, the winter, and then with spring, the flood. Yes. There's that yeah. house and they burned a couch because the animals. Yeah. Thank you, John. The name Megan Baxter comes to mind, but I don't know if that's right. Well, we'll Google it, but I know it was in the aquifer. Yes. Okay. So with that story, though, I thought of it while you were describing it as slow, because that was another similar setting where you have a couple against the elements and there isn't this town. There isn't this group of people that are coming into the story. It's just them and the elements, the animals. And there's a pace to that too. There are certain settings to your point that just kind of lend themselves to a quiet, patient look. Especially when the character is so involved in that yeah. environment, right? Because he's a hunter and he's um, his, his part of his character to spend that time. He's, yeah. He has to wait for just the right moment to take the shot, to see the thing and understanding where the grizzly is you know, when it's hibernating yeah. and stuff like that. So it's scene and it's character together. The kind of character who does take their time with things. Yeah, that's a good point. It was Megan Baxter. Wow, John, you are something else. Your mind is like a steel trap and mine is a sieve. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's called The Flood, though, so I was wrong. All right, well, uh, points off for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm obviously drawn to a type of story, and I think this is one of those stories that anyone could probably, who knows me now, well enough would read and say, oh, Christine would like this. <laughs> you know who would like this, Christine. I love this kind of stuff. And like I said, what felt new and different was her talent, her special skill. And stories like this, I'm like, oh my God, this is a movie. This is a short series. This is, I don't want to ruin it, but it's visual too. And the pace is episodic. When I was thinking about the pace of it, I was wondering, I was reading it and I was partway through it. I was like, this is such a slow moving story. It's like, I wonder why it's not a novel. I could see this just being a really, it could. really good novel. But I was like, you know, I hadn't finished it when I had that thought. And um, at the time I was like, maybe there's just not a of story and i don't know what's going to happen but there's a reason it's the length it is it's probably like this writer knows what they're doing they're not stretching material they're not going to like take oh, a nine thousand sure. word story and make it into an eighty thousand word novel right it is the length it needs to be well yeah i could see it being a novel though too because of if this were a novel this is the perfect way to make it a short story which is to tell us the present day scene and give us the backstory and flashbacks right i mean this is a tried and true <laughs> structure absolutely yeah 
But if it were a novel, the pace would be even more excruciating because you'd be going chronologically and (laughs) you wouldn't necessarily know that the gift had panned out. You wouldn't know that they had separated. You wouldn't be reading toward the midpoint of where these stories converge, you know, which is what you always feel you're reading toward when it's a story in present tense with flashbacks. You're like, when do we get to the point where the flashbacks meet what I currently know so I can appreciate it and go forward for the last two paragraphs? (laughs) He's like, I'm at a conference. Let me tell you why. You're like, yeah, please do. Uh, Could you tell it faster? And then he's like, back to the conference. Now that you know the whole backstory. Um, And then my wife gave me a vision and then we touched hands outside. The end. (laughs) Imagine the the novel though, you know, you're getting this detail. You're getting these uh, really um, slow moving moments for five years of their their life together. And there is actually a moment in here where where he says 20 years later. Where did that go? That's such a great moment. It's the very last section. Yeah. He's like, we had been married five years. And then it's like 20 years later, I am at a conference. Yeah, exactly. So there's a point in the novel where he's like 20 years later. Can you imagine like it's similar to that? When does the backstory and the current action come together? But that would be the kind of moment in a novel where you're like, whoa, I've just spent 500 pages on five years. Now we're going to skip 20. (laughs) Yeah. And this short story expertly chooses to cut out the point where they're not together, where he doesn't know what she's doing and she doesn't know what he's doing because that doesn't matter to the ending but the novel would go through those they would go through all 20 it would be terrible it's kind of like the story snow where we talked about yes how the the main drama of the story is in the living room where they have to decide where the characters decide what he's going to do the main drama of this story is when they come back together and we just right. we have to know what led to their separation we have to know that they had a connection we have to know all the stuff that led to that but the main drama is in the current moment yeah so did you enjoy this one absolutely as I was reading it, I felt its slowness and I still was still swept by it, if that makes sense. How do you yeah. get swept along by a really slow, it's like a rafting, you know, just an easy, easy kind of um, just go with the current. You're not rowing. That's a really good uh, description. And that is definitely the type of story that when I'm in a hurry to find one to send to you, I wait for one that kind of against my will is ushering me along. And then I, and then I hit send. I'm like, all right, I'm captured because I will read like four or five openers and I'm like this shit this shit I hate it no I'm bored but this one is just like oh wow here we go I'm going down the river I better send John the link before I get swept away I think my takeaway, though, I've probably said it before in some sense, but I really do, when I read a story like this, think about, okay, I lived in Ohio for a long time. I lived in Florida for a long time. I'm back in Ohio now. And I feel like I could probably write stories like this now, given my attention to detail for my current setting in life that really, really, really bring these places to life. You know, there's just something so beautiful about them. I'm so drawn to them. I love reading stories written by people where you know they know their shit about a place, especially the wilderness. I love nature stuff. So I'm like, man, I got to write about these deer that are like trotting through my yard or whatever it is, you know, because they're all so real to me now that I'm paying attention. There are, believe it or not, I'm sure you know this, very, very, very specific contests 
in like open submission things for people writing about regions who are from regions. This is like a very popular type of writing that people solicit for. So when you look on places like Poets and Writers, it'll be like, this is only for people that live in Idaho and spent two years in Nebraska in the 1980s. Like it's very specific and it's about region and like places and like age and all this stuff. So if you like that kind of writing, you could tell yourself, I'm going to get published in a place like this. I don't know. I think there's something to be said for if you think you're a good enough writer and you're just like maybe struggling to like place your own work, like, well, you're a good enough writer. Why don't you write to a contest, write to a submission? I bet you can do it. I bet if you put all your effort into the publication of a certain very specific piece of work, you know, if you reverse engineer it, I think you could probably pull it off. I was thinking about what I've remembered most of your work from the workshop. And I think what it always has been is the stuff about Florida. Yeah. Like when you wrote things that were not necessarily true or based on truth, but about Florida in some way where you incorporated some aspect of Florida into the story. Like I remember the, uh, the wildfires one where you made it a client one. Like that one yeah. was, was vivid in my memory. The hurricane one, I remember yeah. well. But stuff like that, like whenever Florida made itself known as the environment, those always felt like more memorable, more powerful stories. Wow. Wow. Thanks, John. Uh, you better keep this in the episode so people know that I've written things and that you like <laughs> Yeah, I think I was able to capture Florida or I wanted to because it was all novel to me, you know, and I was there for 10 years, but it never wore off. Every day I would go outside and I was like, man, I'm in Florida. Like it never, like it never (laughs) got old. And now that I'm back in Ohio, even though I'm from here, I'm like, wow, I'm definitely in Ohio. I'm definitely in Ohio. Like, look at those deer. They're freaking huge. Look at that squirrel. looks like a chipmunk or like a uh, groundhog. Like everything is different and new. Everyone keeps asking me if I'm sick of the snow. And I'm like, no, like it's annoying, but I feel like I'm taking it all in in a way that's exciting, you know? And when you are in a new place, if you go on vacation, you know, and you go to a place you've never been or a city or a region, that's all you can think of while you're there too, you know? Like you go to LA and you're like, man, it's smoggy, but this weather is perfect. Like you, <laughs> you just can't get over some of the natural stuff. So I, I like pieces that expertly capture it. And not just because I can imagine myself being there, but because it's like you could tell those people really like being there too yeah you could like read it and know that they know their shit it's like anything it's the example is just setting but i mean there's something really exciting about reading it knowing that the person is an expert yeah there's a genre of story that gets published because of the display of expertise yeah that's a great point that's what makes these contests i was mentioning exclusive i mean i cannot participate not just because they don't want me to but because you know i'm being excluded because they know that i don't have that expertise i cannot hope to compete yeah capture living in idaho after having lived in nebraska for two years for two years 30 years ago yeah (laughs) 50 (laughs) yeah you're 40 years ago now yeah (laughs) Yeah. So that's my takeaway. I I, I just love setting and I, I feel like I'm gearing up to probably write something in that vein. What is your takeaway, John? My takeaway is just uh, what I kind of what I said about the slow pace of things. Like I said before, there's so much advice about getting there quickly, having a hook and like pulling your reader in. And sometimes I think it's a good idea just to write for a reader who wants to read. <laughs> 
You don't yeah. have to trick them into it. You yeah, know, sure. just like let them experience and like sit in it for a little while and just like be there with you and take your time and like lead them through it and have a little uh, a tour of the story. Give them all those little details that they wouldn't see if they were rushing. Yeah, it's almost the opposite of my advice, which is, you know, to write to win a contest. It's more like, <laughs> it's more like write as if you've won the contest. Like write assuming that you will be read, not like yeah, you're trying yeah. to force someone to think that this is the story for them. So once a writer gets published, editors are more likely to trust that they know what they're doing. Right. And then they will take their time reading the submission so that <laughs> they'll be like, oh, this person has been published, you know, however many times before. They they know how stories work. So I, I enter into the reading of it with that in mind, right? Sure. Which is the same way I, I start reading when I read like best American short stories anthologies. Yeah. Like these are the best. So they must know what they're doing. So I'm not going to read the first paragraph and assume it's garbage just because yes. I didn't quite get it right away. Right. I'll reread that paragraph. I'll try again. Whereas if it's from somebody that I don't don't necessarily trust in that way, I might stop reading. I might uh, sure. give up on it or, or say, never mind. I don't I don't even want to read this. So this isn't necessarily like my takeaway isn't necessarily how to get published. It's just, you know, this is another thing we can do with stories that we don't always get to do. And I think is a good thing to remind ourselves of. Yeah. I mean, we approach all published fiction that way, right? With this thought in mind of I'll be patient because it's public it, like it'll build it's going to get somewhere yeah somebody thought it was worthwhile they printed it yes. here it is I'm holding it <laughs> all right thanks guys do we have other things to say about this do you think I don't know we could mention how they switch POV jumping between her head and his head but we've, we've said so much about POV in past episodes and we don't need to do that I don't even remember where it jumps to her See, it's not even important <laughs> 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 if you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.